What is phase two? New day is done. The day of the Power Cosmic Podcast. Gathered from around the galaxy comes the world's greatest comic book fans, all in one terrific podcast. It's the Power Cosmic Podcast. With your host with the most, the man who puts on Terrific Con, the world's greatest Comic Con every August at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, Mitch Halleck. Joining Mitch each week will be an assembly of his terrific super friends. Join them as they talk about comic books, movies, and more. It's the Power Cosmic Podcast. Power Cosmic Podcast. Hey everybody, it's uh, Mitch and Jerry. We're back. It's March 31st, 2020. How are you, Jerry? I'm good. Hey, when was the last time you shaved? Actually, you know what? I've been shaving uh, every couple days because there's something about it. I'm like, hey, you got to look dignified. You don't want to. Yeah, well. Unlike I you. Haven't yeah. I haven't been out of the house in, in uh, I think, the last week, Tuesday, to go to the post office really quickly, but uh, I, I haven't shaved probably in a week and a half. No, I was going to do that for a couple days, and then it started to get itchy, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go through with my head held high. So. Yeah, I just don't want to grow a beard, but I also feel like when yeah. I shave... You know, I look. It looks too uh, grubby. Clean somehow. No, no. When you shave, it's like you know. I, I'm at that stage where a little bit of stubble, you know, looks better than clean shaven. You got that Don Johnson thing going. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That I, only need, I need something that maybe I should figure out what they what the celebrities do to keep it. Um, no, I think they like actually five day growth. No, they, they they my son had that. He has one of those uh, clippers, those razors. Yeah. Right? There's an adjustment. Yeah. You just put it on so it keeps that manly growth on your face <laughs> not too short not too heavy just right, right. just right the, the golden well, you know blade if it's too if it's too much like right now yeah. it, i look kind of like i could be you know uh i could be begging for money on a street corner but then you know i, I could be begging you for could money be on a i mean corner. you know it's been few and far between <laughs> well right we'll off the draw, bat right we'll off draw the, for cigarettes now. <laughs> right off the bat i'm gonna start what do you think about what's going on with the whole uh diamond shutting down currently putting books out and then dc there was a whole hullabaloo about dc was going to put books out but they were going to different printers they were going to have different distributions and then it was going to be digital and to be honest with you today as of uh what at three o'clock i have no idea what's the game plan yeah well i think marvel announced they were going to put books out digitally right um and I know people were mad about that, but I think... It makes sense. Uh, it makes sense because basically, if you're stuck in your house... Right. You want something... You're, you're going to be watching. You're going to be watching streaming services for yep. new stuff and yep. everything. So you're you're like the kind of a captive audience. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, it's bad for stores. But at the same time, like if DC or... You know, I think Dark Horse also was announced the same thing, that they were going to try alternate avenues, and it makes me wonder if DC is going to self-distribute. Yeah. I don't know, but they could. They Why could. not? Well, I you mean, know? as far as those digital codes, I've been doing that here just to give people something to do and something, you know, as a daily distraction. Right. Because I buy the regular Marvel books, and they always have those digital codes in the back, and I go... Why do I need this digital code? I have the hard yeah. copy right in front of me. So I would never use them. And then a couple of years ago, I remember it was uh, a Christmas promotion for Terrificon. Right. 
I started I started giving them away and people liked it. And then there was a time I put I would just put the codes out there. And I started noticing that people were like, oh, this has been used already. And I'm like, really? I just put it up five seconds ago. There was a, a follower of the Facebook page from the Philippines, and he was taking everything. He Every time wow. I pulled one up, he was taking them all. If I put six up, he took six. If I took two, two. If I put 20, he took 20. And I finally knew it was him, and I, I sent him a message. I said, hey, dude, uh, have you ever been to Trificon? I mean, it's it's it was meant for the fans. He goes, no, I live in the Philippines. I've never been to the U.S. And I go, okay, could you tell me why you're doing this? He goes, well, you're just giving those away for free. I said, yeah, but it was intended for one per person, not to be a glutton, not to hoard right. them all. And I was trying to give something back to the people that come to the show. He's like, well, I didn't right. know that. So I banned him. I, I blocked him from the page because I was really ticked. I noticed last week when I started this program up again, the daily digital giveaway. Guess who was guess who was right in first in line? The same no. dude. He didn't even yeah. change his name. I'm like, you could have come up with an alias or something. But I I blocked him again, and I, the way I'm doing it now is I just randomly pick two or three names. I'll ask my wife or my kid. I go here, just pick somebody's names, and right. we do that. And I'll send them a, a private message or a PM. And I just give them the codes. It's worked out so well, you know. That reminds me of a bit in a movie. Yeah. I, I remember what movie it was, but it was somebody, it was like some guy was like at a party and was taking all the food off of like the, the waiters, you know, cor the caterers' trays. That's Caddyshack. And in their pockets. And then the hostess said, why are you stealing the food? It's free. And he said, well, if it's free, I'm not stealing it. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I get, yeah, I know. I get it. But. It is what it is. So I did Free For All Friday where I posted 20 codes up for comics and three digital movies. Because, again, I have the DVDs. I don't need the digital right. download. And uh, sure enough, somebody started grabbing them before everybody else. Even though I put, please be respectful one at a time. This isn't toilet paper. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's be courteous to our fellow fans. Maybe and, you should try trading them. For toilet paper. Well, this Friday I'm going to do trivia, and I'll post yeah. a question, and whoever gets the I first. I think it's answer. more fair in a way yeah. to have it be a, co a competition. It's still free, right? Yeah, but it's still free, but there's something about just one jerk taking everything. It's like yeah. really. But you know that that I don't know if you you've heard that where you can you buy like a one of those uh, gift cards at a grocery store. Or oh, someplace. the code's and already you, been accessed. You try to use yeah. it, but somebody's already taken the code. Yeah. They peeled the thing off and maybe covered it up again or something. No, my friend Rob yeah. at Herified, uh, he comes to the show every year. He lives in Stratford, Connecticut. He did the same thing. He bought a bunch of gift cards from a local drugstore, and yeah. every single one of them that they gave out was already used because somebody <laughs> copied the codes. So I guess as soon yeah, as you I mean, buy it, they know? I don't even know how they do it. But. Well, I think that they changed some of the stores change that to where they have to authorize the card when you buy it. Or there's a like, scratch-off thing now, right? Yeah, it, it, they all had scratch-offs, but I think if you if someone scratched, for example, if you walked, say you grab one while you're pushing your card around, yeah. you got time, you could scratch the thing off, take a picture of it, and then cover it with something else. Oh, really? You know, why not? I, I mean, don't know it, how, how intricate closely this do you is. Look? Like, yeah. if, if, you, if you bought the card, do you look on the back? Is it like a little piece of sticky tape covering it? Is it you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think they started now where they scan them at the at the register to make sure that they're they're not authorized until they're purchased. So. Oh well, there's that. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been. I mean, it is kind of funny the whole stay at home thing. Not funny for the reasons why, but for yeah. people like you and me, 
I've been home since 2007. I, I started working from home. So yeah. this is another day in the park for me. Literally, I'll get up, yeah. uh, do my routine, walk the dog, come back, do some stuff for the show, answer emails, do phone calls, hang out with you. And then uh, that's pretty much it. So now yeah. now everyone's in on the act. So I yeah. got, we got well, competition. The, the downside is that you can't, you know, you, you, do, you don't have a break from it. No. Whereas in the past, like, you know, I'd work and then, you know, we, I'd go out to eat or something, or I'd get, you know, so, I mean, I do miss that, but the, the biggest thing is just, you know, when you're working at home, yeah. you generally have food at home, right. but when they tell you not to leave the house, that's an issue, that you're watching your, the amount of eggs or your milk or something dwindling, you know, then I you go, uh, you should, have, you should have started raising those chickens in the backyard when you had the chance. I know, I know. Jerry's egg farm. But, but, but yeah, getting back to the Marvel and DC thing, I was yeah. thinking like maybe you know what? Who knows how things will go when it when things you know eventually return right. to normal? But you know this could also be a way for you know maybe Diamond is a is the big loser in this yeah. as well because for years Diamond has had that exclusive Monopoly. and you know deep. DC did, you know, DC went and did Walmart. I don't know if, I don't think Diamond distributes those. No, those are, those are sent right to Walmart. Those are separate, because I yeah. asked a couple so, guys, and somebody just would go around and drop them off with the magazines. It wasn't, yeah, it but, wasn't uh, but after, like I said, after a while, you know, you realize that when there's, and again, it's nothing against Diamond, but Diamond has no, necessarily has, a, has no reason to want to expand, because to expand means they have to even open new warehouses, they have to right. hire people. So their best bet is to stay stable, right. but that doesn't grow the industry. No. So it's possible with, you know, ex- extraordinary circumstances like this, yeah. that if, if DC or Marvel are able to direct ship to stores or direct ship to large accounts even, yeah. and the large accounts could sub-distribute, I mean, that would be a game changer. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but it certainly could. I mean, Warner distributes DVDs. They, you know, what I mean, they're yeah, no, no, they run, no. They run the Warner archive. Yeah. They, you know, Marvel has the same resources, no doubt. I mean, Disney must have, you know, some uh, fan stores and things like that. So right. there's there's probably an infrastructure. And and again, Diamond, you know, all of our comics for a long time were printed in Canada. Yeah. And then when uh, exchange rates would change. Some of those printing plants are just over the border in, in you know, upstate New York or, or wherever. Yep. Um, but anybody can print comics. You know? Oh, I know. I mean, if, me. if, if you're doing, if you're Marvel or DC and you're printing, you know, 80 titles, you could spread those around, yeah. you know? So, I mean, the fact that they're printed in one place is obviously a vulnerability if that place has a lot of corona cases yeah, 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 and yeah. the printers are shut down maybe there's other areas where the printers are sitting there and hey we could use the work so i mean it, it's a tricky one you yeah know? well we'll definitely see it's, it is interesting times right now i know the movies of a lot of major movies have been shuffled around and i don't know where they're going to put the black widow at the moment but we'll have to wait and see yeah. but again that's yeah. that's for days coming by but anyway yeah. going but here, back well, here, what? how does that relate i was going to say i want to i i I thought it would be interesting uh, how how things have changed. Yeah. Like when we were kids. Right. Now, you're a little younger than me. Yeah. Um, but I remember having specific places, like in, in Milwaukee, going to the downtown newsstand because the downtown newsstand had, 
you know, generally had all the major comics, and yeah. they always got them every week. So you'd make a trip downtown, you know, my brother and I, or, or friends or whatever, we would take a, we usually would walk, it was, you know, several miles, but we would walk yep. to uh, to this spot downtown and buy our comics. And, uh, you know, then you'd go somewhere else on the way home, go to the Woolworths, you know, that had a record department and buy, you know, some stupid 45, yeah. <laughs> some band like yeah, Tommy yeah. James and the Shondells. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> or you'd get something to eat, or you, you know what I mean. It was well, like a, an outing. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna on that subject. So I'm home. I have all these omnibuses. I guess the plural would be omnibuy. I don't know. <laughs> so they're here, and I'm like, you know what? I know of a lot of the early. I know like all the Spider-Man stories and in, in, in Cap and all that. But I have like the Thor. Yep. Omnibus. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I bought this. I know a lot of Thor stories, but I don't know all of them. And why not now? I've got the time on my hand. I'm not promoting a lot of guest announcements. So let me go and read Thor. So I started with the Omnibus. It's sitting right here next to me right now. Omnibus number one by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And it opens up with Journey into Mystery. So it's got the Journey into Mystery books. And then it's going to go into the Thor annual. Okay. Now, you're a Thor fan? Yeah. Okay, did you read these early stories? When I, I say early stories, I'm talking no, about... No, I read them. I read them after the fact, but I started picking... The first Thor I picked up was like maybe 143 or something okay. off the newsstand. Well, that, that, that's later on. They probably get better by yeah. then. I'm talking about... No, they were about, great. At, that was a great period. Well, I haven't got there yet. I'm talking right now, August 1962, Journey to Mystery 83... And then it goes on, uh, you know, 62, yeah. 63. A lot of these stories were written by Larry Lieber, Stan's yeah. little brother. And uh, the art jumps around. I mean, Jack Kirby's on most of it, but it jumps around. Even to Joe Sinnott takes a hand at yeah. it. Then a yeah, couple Joe Sinnott does think a bunch of them. guy named Al Hartley, who I never heard of, yeah. was not meant for comic books. He looks more like somebody that was like an ad exec guy or somebody that would draw romance books because he didn't get the superhero thing down you know yeah but well, the, matter, that, that was the strength of kirby was that kirby was kirby and they that's why stan had to try to train everybody to to be like Jack. stuff like kirby yeah well here's the deal though the earlier stories if you never read them they're all basically the same story here it is thor can't let go of his well don blake takes the staff the walking right. stick and by the way, there was no politically correctness back in 1962 and 63 because everybody and their brother refers to him as the lame, L-A-M-E doctor. It's really, right, right. it's really disturbing. I mean, Jane Foster's his nurse. She's in love with him, and she's like, "Oh, I love Don, but he's a lame doctor." I'm like, "Wait, what is wrong with you people? What, they didn't have anybody with disabilities back then." And and he even says it to himself. He's like fighting to get this. Uh, if only I wasn't, you know, lame. My leg wasn't injured. I'd I'd run down these stairs faster. I'm like, wow, this is really. Yeah, but what would you call it? You know I don't know, like, but it's like, I guess because or, it's a, you know, a horse could be lame. They would shoot it, but no. But I guess because you're, you're, it's a it's a, a drawing, so you can't see the yeah. physical acting. So they have to keep reminding the reader this is why he's not jumping down the, the stairs or jumping into right. a battle. Well, he had, all the Marvel guys had some kind of physical Affliction. disability. Yeah, yeah. So he Iron gets, Man had a bad heart. Uh, you know, Daredevil, Daredevil was blind. blind. Spider Man was always sick with a cold or something. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, he was a. Uh, 
weakling. He was yeah. a fragile kid. He was a milksop, as uh, Jennifer right. Ross would call people. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, Cap had PTSD, but they didn't call it that. Right. If you, right. Every other day he was crying about Bucky. And then right. uh, the Hulk, well, you know, he is what he is. And he had then, a personality uh, disorder. Yeah. So I'm reading Thor. Beyond his, uh, his, his problem with his problem was leg. He has right. to slam the staff, his walking cane, to turn into right. Thor. He cannot let go of his hammer for more right. than 60 seconds because then he'll revert Otherwise back. Otherwise, he changes back. Yeah. yeah, he reverts back to Don Blake. And that comes yeah. into play like almost in every issue because he'll, be he'll be captured as Thor with you know bound right. and gag, but because the 60 seconds are up, he reduces back down to Dr. Don Blake, and he's smaller, right. so he gets to get out of the traps. Right. Whatever. Right. But... But... That was the that was the the key and why those Marvel books were so special was that each of these characters had limitations. I mean, Iron Man's power source would run out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Daredevil, something would happen where his power wouldn't work, or yeah. there would be some. You know, I mean, or Spider Man's web fluid would run out. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, well, Sp Spider Man would get this. He got the flu. Yeah, or that was or, like, uh, memorable. It was like he'd get the flu, and it's like, wow, he didn't think he'd get the flu. Yeah, or I the mean, Fantastic Four. You had Ben Grimm. None of the, going the back DC and, characters did had the, the DC characters had no no weaknesses necessarily. You yeah. know what I mean, they were they, that was the key as it, for me when I was like ten years old. That was the key to loving these characters was the fact that they had all had these problems. Yeah. yeah, they were like. You know, they were like you and me. All right. Well, <laughs> no, I know. Really. As I talk to you with my allergies and my nose is stuffed up right now. Yeah, yeah. But but the, like the Thor stuff, what I remember from reading, rereading, and you know, because I I wound up picking up a lot of issues, back issues and stuff. Yeah. Um, number one, I was going to mention to you, Al Hartley was he did Patsy Walker. Oh, that's but maybe I think he why. also worked for yeah, yeah. But he also worked for Archie Comics and stuff. So yeah, I think it he's does probably look, more cartoonist. Yes. And cartoony cartoonist or whatever. Yeah, he doesn't uh, have that heroic, yeah, that, that, that musculature for, like, the superhero yeah. guys. It's more of, like I said, yeah, I could see him doing Archie or uh, Patsy yeah. Walker. But, I mean, Patsy Walker was, yeah, it was like, a, you know, the they kind of invented the, that type of book in a way, too. But yeah, the anyway, true romance thing, yeah. Yeah, the early Marvel is full of them trying to, to get people to understand how to be Jack Kirby. And, yeah. and there were, you know, some of them were better than others, but nobody was, you know, the guys like, uh, I mean, I think of George Tusca picked it up and, and uh, yeah. Gene Cohen. Well, Dick Ayers, Dick Ayers jumps in here. Jack does most of the heavy lifting, and he's inked by Chick Stone. Yeah. And then what happens is uh, Vince Coletta comes on eventually. And it's yeah. weird because, okay, so the first pile of stories, it's the same setup. Yeah. There's an alien invasion. There are more alien invasions. Yeah, a lot of alien books. races. Yep. Uh, not just one. They'll come in with fleets no, of know. ships, and they're there. And then everything's miraculously vanished. Like they'll wipe. Like yeah. Thor was possessed by Loki. Loki's right. riding around on Thor's back. They're flying around the world, <laughs> wiping out the Taj Mahal, wiping out right, the right. Eiffel Tower. You name it, they destroyed it. Then Odin comes in. He fixes all the damaged landmarks and he wipes the memory of the destruction from all the human race. The right. best one is that's the that's the ultimate. Was it Deus Ex Machina? Yeah, yeah. You know, or the, Just forget uh, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, the best one I read is Suter, the 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 fire god, the fire demon that lives in the earth. He's right. he's wreaking havoc on the earth, and then there's this other guy, uh, some giant troll lord. 
Grog or Gerg, I can't think of his name right now. So what Odin does is he magically transports every human being on the earth off the earth for a while, puts them in limbo while they <laughs> while they beat the hell out of everybody and they destroy the earth, and then he puts everybody back. Where is he now when you need him? Is all I know. But uh, exactly. But Odin's there, and Odin, man, it's the same story. Thor wants to marry Jane Foster. Jane Foster's in love with Don Blake, but she loves Thor. But right. he's not allowed to marry Jane Foster because she's immortal, and right. Odin's mad about that because he's immortal, and Thor right. can't marry her because it's like a right. mixed marriage, and you know they don't want that happening right. back then. Well, it's more like royalty. Think about oh, that. royalty. Like, I was going to say it's more like what you, different you, religions you, or something here. You marry a duchess, you don't marry a commoner. You know. Yeah. So this goes on and on. Every issue is the same. Odin's having a fit. Because the, and I get it, they have to reintroduce the storyline to kids because yeah. the kids are too busy. They're hopped up on soda pop and and chewing gum in the early sixties. I don't know what they were doing, but they got to keep telling you the same thing every page. Yeah. It's like, by the way, Odin hates Thor's yeah. love for Jane Foster. Right. He, uh, it's just but, going it's monotonous. And again, though, you know, look, the thing is, though, if you compare that, like, if you grab a, a copy of Superman or Batman, yeah, from that same month you will find not only the same thing, but you'll find it even a little more cookie cutter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, uh, they, they would come up with a, pre a premise that was never meant to end. You know, it was open-ended and it had to have kind of special hooks so that, you know, obviously so Thor wasn't the same as Spider-Man, wasn't the same as, but, uh, but Thor is kind of, a cross between Superman yeah. and Captain Marvel, ultimately. I got the idea he was more like Superman in these early stories, because the stuff he would yeah. do, he would... Well, Superman had met aliens every month, yeah. too, but then so did Batman in the... Well, well yeah, Thor, no, Thor, Thor would spin around really fast and, and manage to go into the 23rd century, because he fought right, the guy from, the, from the 23rd century. That was guy. it Zark? What was his Z name? Zarko? Yeah, 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 Zarko, or whatever. I, I can tell you right now what it is because I read it last night. And was that a Kirby one? Those were Kirby ones. Oh my god! I opened up. I opened up right to that page. Uh, yes, those are Jack Kirby, and yeah. it was yes yeah, Zarko the Tomorrow Man. Yeah, from the Kirby 20th did, century. Kirby did something like that in in the when he was doing the Challengers of the Unknown in the late fifties for yeah. DC. He had the Challengers sent through time and stuff. I mean, a lot of the element. Here's the thing, uh, another thing that, well, Kirby wasn't drawing those, a lot of those stories, a lot of times he would do the cover right before the inside was done because Stan would have him design whatever bad guy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's kind of an unsung aspect to, that you don't realize now, for the most part, people do covers after a book is done, yeah. generally. Yeah. Or at least after it's written. Well, there, there, is a, writing them. there is a cheat in all these. You know the splash page, the, the opening page? Yeah. It's almost a reinterpretation of whatever the cover was. Like if yeah. he's fighting the Grey Gargoyle on the cover, in this issue you'll meet Thor's latest right. villain, the Grey Gargoyle. Don't uh, pass this up. This is the book you've been waiting for. So then you right. open it up, and there's the splash page of Thor in battle with the Grey Gargoyle. This right. is it. This is the one you've been waiting for. It's the same exact copy, and then the story doesn't even start until you turn that page, and then they tell you the background, the origin, and the setup, and all that. So... <laughs> You almost have well, two covers going on. A splash page used to be thought of as the second cover. Oh, it did? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just supposed to be a dynamic image just to get your attention. 
This well, is almost like, it, but it's almost know, like what? a footnote to what's going to happen. It's like, oh, by the way, no, this it used is to be that you'd open up a comic and you were getting kind of a second cover, right? You know, and that, that's what uh, one of the other things that, like, again, when I was doing Superman, I used to think of this as a because you you know you're distilling all the comics you read as a kid and everything when you start doing them and yourself. I used to remember thinking like, okay, how do you start a Superman story with a Clark Kent page? Yeah. I never would want. I never wanted to do that. I always try to come in either into the middle of the story or do a four-page wrap-up of something that you didn't need to have twenty-two pages for, and then segue into it. Because again, the splash page seemed important because if you if the cover grabbed you and you pulled it off the rack, right, and you opened it up, you'd be like, oh, this looks good. Yeah. As opposed to opening it up and going, wait, why isn't Superman there? Why well, I, I remember there? when Byrne did Man of Steel. I always remember that. The cover, I can't remember what it was, but you open it up and there was uh, Lois Lane uh, bench pressing a dumbbell while she was waiting for Lex Luthor. And I was like, well, that's a, that's a jarring image because she was just sitting there yeah, yeah. at the workout bench lifting a weight. Well, she was she was questioning Clark Kent. Why did he, you know, that, that was Byrne's way of making, here's why Clark Kent is buff. Because he had this the oh. in his apartment. Oh, okay. I just remember yeah, that image yeah. when you said that. Because I'm like, that yeah, is... no, she was she was using his his weights or whatever, and that was him as a way to cover for why Clark Kent was was you know in good shape as right. opposed to like. Well, yeah. but then by, by the by the eighties, I don't think it was as important. Yeah, it faded again. away. Long ago. it was it wasn't as important because a lot of stuff was sold to the direct direct market around that yeah. time. Yeah. So the direct market bought the copies. There was no returnable aspect to them. Like on a newsstand, if people weren't hooked on the newsstand, DC had to, or Marvel had to take the returns, right. and they, they didn't get any money. So you'd print, you know, two hundred or whatever, two hundred fifty thousand copies of a comic. Yeah, yeah. And if it had a sell through of forty percent, you were considered successful. But that meant you had to take returns on more than half of that print run which meant nobody got money for that. So it's, it, it, you know, that's why there were, there were every, everybody was hoping that you, you wanted to make sure that a kid picked it up, he would buy it or whatever. But, well, uh, well, well, going back to Thor or the Mighty Boar, as I was starting to think yeah. of it, because I remember you saying, oh, they get good, because I told you, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm falling yeah, asleep yeah, no, they, but, well, well, so far his rogues gallery is starting off with, how far are you? How I far just finished uh, 112 where he met the Hulk. Yeah. That, that was a good story. Yeah. But before that, yeah. he, his villains were... It's Dr. Hyde. No, no, no. Uh, I was going to tell you, Mr. Hyde, Hyde the Cobra. and Cobra are all over yeah. this. Like, every other issue, yeah, yeah. it's them again. It's like, okay, really? The guy was built like, by yeah. a radioactive Cobra. <laughs> he had radioactive Cobra blood in it. But it was kind of like a combination of Thor yeah. and Loki in a way. Because the Cobra was kind of sneaky... And Mr. Hyde was kind of a power. Well, power Mr. Hyde, I didn't realize he had a name. Uh, it was, oh, bloody hell. I could just think of it right now. But uh, he does have an alias, which is funny, though, because when he takes the magic formula, his clothes change as well. Because Mr. Don't Hyde think was, about it too hard. No, I was doing a double take. Ten years old. <laughs> I'm doing a double take. I go, I know LSD was legal back then, but these kids are pretty dumb. But yeah, he's supposed to be ten years old, man. <laughs> he, he takes a he, he drinks the formula and he turns back into it's a real funny name. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, those, the yeah. thing is, you you know, you, you're seeing them. I'm from a 53 year old mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and 
when I was a kid, like I said, I, I bought, I started buying it around 140, I don't know if it was 142 or 43, but right. it was already in kind of like a, a peak era, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas the, when I started buying the back issues, which you could buy, they're not, none of the ones I had were in great shape, but they were, right. you know, it was still important to have them. I remember picking up like, just by luck, getting some of the earlier ones that had been not drawn by Kirby. Yeah. And I said, wow, Joe Sennett can draw. Yeah. Because I just thought, knew, him, knew him as an inker. I was, I was surprised, really too. Yeah. Because I, he was, you know. He's pretty good. He, it was really nice, clean stuff, but it wasn't dynamic. No. Like a Kirby thing. No, no, it was not. You know, so so that's the, uh, you know, but it was better drawn than, you know, as far as superhero stuff, it looked better than the Al Hartley stuff. Yeah. Because Joe you know, drew more realistic stuff, and I think that's Cal- kind of where they were at. It was Calvin Zabo, by the way. <laughs> Calvin Zabo is the alias of Mr. Hyde. So he drinks it, and not only does his clothes turn into a brown suit with glasses and a mustache, because then he turns into Mr. Hyde, and he's this yeah. big dude with a green suit and no glasses. Yeah. Well, he had, the, he had the little half cape or the, yeah. the shoulder. Yeah, the yeah, that coat. Was, it was distinctive. Yeah. No, it was interesting, and because you think about Thor later on and all the cosmic adventures he has, I'm like, the modern stuff. I'm like, really? Yeah. Have they brought these two back? I would love to have like, was it like Donny Cates or Jason Aaron or, or whoever Chip Zdarsky bring yeah. back Cobra? And well, uh, Mr. Mr. Hyde, Hyde and Cobra became Daredevil villains. Then I think I think Daredevil inherited them. All the in rejects. The yeah. Well, but then the radio. Like they were more appropriate in a way for. You know, Thor started fighting more powerful creatures or whatever. The radioactive man's in there too. He's from yeah. Chi- he's from China. I didn't realize that. Well, he was also in the. Uh, he was a, one of the masters of evil yes. from the Avengers stuff. Yep, and that's coming into play soon. I think the Melter is it. Yeah, and, uh, and he was perfect for Iron Man because, of course, he was iron. I mean, they thought of it in basic ways. It wasn't it wasn't sophisticated, but right. yet they were very different for their time. I think you. You know, to again, I picked up my first Marvel comic in 1967. Yeah, and I was just shy of 10 years old, and it was the most amazing thing ever. And really, really, the hook was that all the characters had some kind of Achilles heel, which yeah, yeah. you just didn't see. Superman, you know, if he had a problem, it was Kryptonite, but it was generally, you know, he he didn't have to worry about that every issue, and Kryptonite didn't necessarily. You know, they even played down the kryptonite as far as killing him. That's yeah. why they came up with all the different colors, so one could give him a giant head, or you know, what yeah, I mean, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was more done for kind of uh, almost lighthearted or dopey. Yeah. Um, well, and, and then there's this backup story, the Tales of Asgard. Did you ever read those? Yeah. Well, some oh, of them look great. Like, some of them look like real Norse myths, uh, you yeah. know, that stand as yeah, reinterpreted. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of like, you know, no, they're, history. They're actually really good. I, I always enjoyed those, even though I wasn't. I liked Thor on, on Earth more than I liked him on Asgard in those yeah. days. Yeah. I mean, well, it always felt like a character who was in an, a, a totally alien type environment wasn't as intriguing to me as a as a kid. Yeah. I liked him on in New York City. I mean, my favorite. Again, one of the first issues I remember buying was Thor getting a, you know, I think he was getting like either a milkshake or an ice yeah, cream sundae yeah, or something. Yeah, he's and sitting the, at this, the countertop top. in that outfit. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the ones you're getting into towards, you're getting closer to, once they started introducing 
Hercules. Yep, Hercules comes in the annual, number one. Pluto, the, you know, from the underworld. Yep. Those, those, yep. those storylines were really good. And there, there was one that's always stood out in buying back issues. One was interesting was when Thor had to go into the uh, blast forges in Pittsburgh, because that's where steel was, to fix his hammer. I didn't get that, that a, far yet. No. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, those were like, again, it's like, you know, in a totally invented science fiction-y way, maybe people could take issue with it, but those made those stories more relatable to me as a reader. Yeah. You know, the fact that, oh, look, he's acknowledging, where would you go? Well, you go to Pittsburgh, where the blast furnaces are that make the steel that runs the nation, you know? It was, it was those were little touches that were just kind of neat, and it humanized them, you know? Well, I did see uh, President Kennedy pop up, and Pre- Caroline Kennedy, uh, yeah. in one issue, because they were going through the White House. And there was an alien. He's like, "Who could this possibly be?" It was the duplicator. Uh, well, uh, it gets it gets in some better villains. I'll give you eventually because some of the earlier ones, I was like the carbon copy man. I can't believe he's not made a big screen debut in one of the films. And then there was the duplicator, who was basically the carbon copy man with a different name. Well, and, maybe the carbon copy man duplicated himself. I know. And then became the duplicator. Well, he became the copyright <laughs> infringement guy. And uh, it's just, and it was really badly drawn. I think that's an Al Hartley one where it's just like, oh God, you didn't even try. You didn't. Well, even here's try. the thing: if you've read, I don't know if you've read. Have you ever read any of the Strange Tales stuff? Before? Yes, with uh, the Human Torch and the thing. When it was the thing, when it was the thing and the torch. There was a bad and artist on that one too for the thing. Well, they used everybody on those, and again, those it was the Marvel was trying to expand without being able to expand, but they. You know, that's, Kirby drew everything, and if he didn't draw everything, he was doing, like, rough layouts to basically break down visually a story into yeah. pages. <clears throat> and they'd have uh, Don Heck work over them, or they'd have, you know, until these guys got up to speed on how to kind of write with the drawing. Right. You right. know, because Stan wasn't, wasn't uh, really doing more than the plotting and then the dialoguing, so. Well, but it, in the in the Strange Tale stuff, I was picking those up years ago, and I bought them when we were going to the Black that Cat. comic place. Yeah, Black Cat. I was picking some of those up if I spotted them, and they're more interesting because they always had good Kirby covers. Yeah, and again, they would have the design of whatever villain would be on that cover, so that the artist could follow it basically. And you'd open you know? it up and so, you go, "Oh, that's not the same artist." Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was surprised though. There's, there's, I think two of those that were inked by Wally Wood. Oh really? And, and I, I was I yeah, have, yeah, look, I have those somewhere on this. I have a lot of those back issue my yeah. Marvel but, masterpieces. But you know, what's also intriguing is when you look at those those books, especially Strange Tales, you see like different writer names that you know, I think Jerry Siegel may have written a couple in there in that in yeah. that run too. So you'd see uh, Carl Burgos's name, who's the you know, creator of the original Human Torch. I mean, it was interesting that it was a way for them to at least throw some work to guys who, you know, had some history but maybe were aged out or right, right. unpopular. Well, I'll tell you, they just came out, and I, I love these uh, these collections. They come out. Uh, they just came out with the Submariner Volume Two, mm-hmm. and it was more of the I'm going to say mid '50s uh, Bill Everett stuff. When they oh, yeah. brought him back, and it's a nice, it a hardcover? it's a hardcover. It's a very nice book. It's got a red, white, and blue design on it. 
and huh. they did one with the Human Torch. They did one with Captain America with Simon and Kirby's run. Yeah, yeah. And then they did the Submariner Volume One, which was World War Two stuff. And then they came out with the second volume just about a month ago, which was all oh. the fifty stuff. And Bill Everett's artwork. They showed the. I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos, and there's yeah. this one video show called uh, Near Mint. I think it's Near Mint Collectibles. It's on YouTube, and the guy reviews omnibuses and comics, and he shows you the the uh, transition of yeah. Bill Everett from the early Submariner stuff when he I don't know how old Bill Everett was in the early '40s, and then he goes into the '50s. The artwork's like night and day. I mean, it's like yeah. a totally different guy. the The details there. He's more got control of the line. Uh, it's 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 something to see how the guy evolved as an artist. Well, he was, I mean, he's one of those guys who, I think, in even in the first appearance of Submariner, he did that on Duo Shade Board. Oh, really? Which was kind of un, unheard of. And, oh, that's how he got yeah. those, uh, they, they talked about the famed uh, underwater effects that he did. Yeah, he, he used that, I mean, that was something, I mean, they weren't paying big rates. So, most of the, you, you know, the business in the, in the beginning of the comics was based on volume. It wasn't based on quality, but there are people who did do quality. Yeah. And they're all probably the, you know, guys that we still remember, like Kirby or Bill Everett or Reed Crandall. Well, I want to. I, I did. I watched the review of the Burroughs book, the Human Torch stuff. Again, uh -huh. never really read much of the Human Torch other than a couple of those uh, reprinted uh, Golden yeah. Age uh, All Star or was it All Winners books. It, it and just, those are all recreated art. Keep that in mind. That's somebody, you know, not necessarily not everybody's good at the recreations, but they would they would basically try to salvage a page by either light boxing oh really because that's interesting you say that because I, I saw that in the back of my uh, one of the books I was looking at the other night and it showed the original page that was all yeah. kind of messed up and then the recreation underneath it I'm yeah. like oh that's interesting like Dick yeah, no, almost, did in a lot of cases it's a redrawing it, especially the earlier like the when Marvel was doing their um, Masterworks editions or even in the 60s, 70s, when they were reprinting. Now why? They don't the have the stuff. original copy anymore? The artwork's lost? There's no black and white artwork or any kind of copy of it in black and white. And back then, they couldn't strip red or color out of the art. They could strip blue out, but they couldn't strip red out because red always photographed as black. Oh. So they'd have to... Like DC did this with their early. Yeah, didn't you tell me that? The like those... Treasury uh, stuff. Yeah, the big treasuries. They had people tracing them. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, had, yeah. they had... Like DC had the... Uh, uh, people like uh, I remember Pat Broderick told me he did that was his first job at DC they were part of like the I don't know if there was a woodchucks or something but they were in the production department with giant pieces of vellum yeah and they would trace over the, the like a photostat of the original comic book page right and uh, you know so they were ultimately just were redrawn stuff you know I wonder if a lot of people even realize that Probably yeah well not. I mean you, you know when you look at something like that you have to then think well this is really no better than someone taking a blue line yeah. from uh, an original and doing your Just own version. It's no yeah. longer, right. yeah, it's, it's like one, a complete full step away from whoever originally drew it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's archival stuff. I mean, they don't have yeah. that footage or footage. They don't have those pages there too, but... But you can, see, you can do that now and you can do a little better job restoring stuff, but you're still restoring from a newsprint printed comic. Yeah which isn't great printing to begin with. So you're not getting any subtlety in the uh, line work or anything that would have existed. In, you know. And again, if you're looking at Bill Everett, yeah. like the 50s stuff that he did, 
he was even then he was still using like the some of the craft the duochet craft and board well the colors are like also that. way different too because they're bright they're jumping off these pages it's beautifully printed nowadays but bright white, white every stock right, yeah. it's white paper that reflects right through the color there's no they don't desaturate them i think on twitter we were, there was a little thread about that some Someone was posting images from the printed comics versus the collections, and they're like, "Why don't they just desaturate the pages?" Right. And I suggested instead of they could certainly desaturate the color, but what they'd be better off doing would be printing a actual percentage of either gray or yellow over the whole thing. Well, put that, a filter that, on it because that would take it back to what it looked like on newsprint, which that, was. That's a creamy color. Creamy yeah, I, I was just going to tell you, that Submariner book you just did like two or three weeks ago, the Snapshots book? Yeah, yeah. That had like a, a, a I don't know how he did it, like a screen over everything where it was all that yeah. yellowish Yeah, there, tried, yeah, there was a, yeah. um, the color itself, I didn't realize it when I was drawing it that it was going to be a retro color job. Um, but it was interesting, and the guy's name was Espen Grundetjern, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but he uh, he did a great job on it. Um, the cover, especially, I think the the cover I did that yeah. whatever the the very one twenty five very yeah it just looks like an old book, which is was kind of cool. So the cover is what sold me on the idea. <clears throat> but uh, no, it, yeah, no it, it, it does have that look to it. Because even when I go look at my old books from the seventies and the eighties, well, not so yeah. much the eighties, but the seventies, all the bronze stuff, yeah, it's on newsprint paper. It's dull. The colors don't pop as easily as they, yeah. they do nowadays. But well, when they, they started, I think the first um, the first time they when they officially upgraded printing, they did it on some of the prestige books before. Was that that Mondo, 90s, Mondo paper? It was Mando paper, Mando, but it was it was basically the, the thing we talked about is the the big difference is in the old printing press was letter press and it was an oil based ink, and the it was a metal plate and the plates had to be oiled. So a little part of the oil transferred to the newsprint, which darkened the newsprint, even though the newsprint was already kind of like a cream color. The oil would take a little percentage of gray just because it was oil. So the color, the the paper would get knocked down. So when you printed red on top of it, it was actually red with, say, maybe 5% gray and yellow added to it. So it changes the whole palette. Right. That's what, like, why the... If they try to do something that's accurate to the original comics, to color it without all the airbrushing and all that stuff, and they do green and blue and all the primary colors, it's too bright on offset printing because they're not taking into account the fact that the old comic pages, even when they were new, picking up a comic like in 1980 or 70, the newsprint was so dark that it knocked down the color even as late as then. But, you know, if you ever pick up an old comic, yeah, you can see something from the 40s and see that the comic is aged and maybe the newsprint's even more orangey or something. Yeah. But that was never white. In other words, even when that 1940s book was new, that newsprint was still, you know, yeah, kind of gray. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a paper that you used to see stuffed in a, you know, like crumpled Packing up stuff. in a package. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. it really it was the, the lowest common denominator of paper. Well, I don't know. It's going to get good. So going back to the original topic here, Thor, the mighty Thor, you're telling me to stick with it because I'm going to get to Hercules. at the. That's how this book ends. It ends with uh, 
him meeting Hercules in Annual yeah. Number One or King Size Thor One, and yeah, yeah. then no, those are, it's going to go into the next one. wave. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that run it, it continues, and also I do have the cool, next omnibus. This ends yeah, with issue well, one twenty. What's cool is after that point where you're at, yeah. like it goes through Thor with with uh, Hercules, and Hercules is a great pompous character. Yeah, it just it it's it's there's fun stuff in there, but there's also good story stuff and I think Thor was really good up through maybe the wrecker stuff in the you know when Bill Everett was inking him oh really um, and, it, and then it got a little science fiction-y and it was kind of hit or miss to me but um, see when I was a kid know, in the 70s I remember John Bus- I'm going to say John Bosimo was doing Thor yeah it was yeah yeah he was doing it and it yeah. was one of those books you didn't get I mean when we, <laughs> we would go to a store oh, you would be yeah, like, I love Bissama, so I would I would buy those books. No, but I'm just saying the, from a story wise, I remember my friends and I would always joke about Thor. It's like thou thee vow yeah. you know, I voweth thee not to fight but with you didn't, the I, th- I thought that was kinda cool. But now when well you were older, I was like seven and yeah. we were like, No, that's like reading Shakespeare. I'm not touching that book. So. <laughs> that's funny, I remember I, when I was a kid in the early seventies, the books that we all liked because Marvel was getting back into monsters. I remember this one kid, Ghost Rider, uh, Tomb of yeah. Dracula, Vampire, oh, yeah. Frankenstein's Monster. He yeah. was all over the horror books because he's like, oh my God, yeah. these are great. They're like zombies yeah. and stuff. And I was always the Spider-Man guy, the Captain America, just the straightforward superheroes, the Hulk. But there was different sectors. Then we had one kid that just loved uh, Iron Fist, um, Power Man, all that stuff, all the Kung Fu things, Master Kung Fu. It was really funny. They did have a lot of variety yeah. in the early 70s, depending on what was popular at the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, had, they, were, they were, because they were still basically selling to trends. Yeah. You know, the, the Kung Fu movies were big, therefore you suddenly had Master of Kung Fu, and yeah. you had... Iron Fist. Uh, right, they had the, what was the character with the, the George Perez worked on with the... Oh, the White Tiger. White Tiger. Yeah, that was in the in the Kung Fu magazine, I think, first, and uh, yeah, that, that was a cool era too because they they did follow trends. But yeah. not only that, but that was the era where Marvel was trying to flood the market because they were the popular oh, yeah. brand. Well, I remember and, uh, when we talked those to magazines me. when I was a kid. Yeah, it was like the seventies when they were putting out the magazines. The Curtis magazines. Was, yeah. Oh my God, I was tapped out. I would oh have to God, go. Yeah. What am, how am I going to buy all these? I at, have to buy them all. No, at Trificon, at Trificon last year, I had a panel on the magazines, and it was Al Milgram, Starlin, and Paul Glacey. And they talked about that. They said, what happened is uh, Martin Goodman, somehow he bought into this Curtis Magazine Publishing Company, and that's how they got into the black and white Conans and uh, the Kung Fu and the Punisher. Marvel. Or Curtis, Curtis bought Marvel. Marvel. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they had to keep it going. So they would, and Starlin was joking about how he would write for some of the books, and they, that's where they came from. And you could get away with a little sex and violence more. You show yeah, a little new. Yeah, they weren't code approved. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it, why the monster books, I think, were more effective because they didn't have the code approval. They didn't have to. Well, they reprinted worry those recently it. too, and I didn't think they would come out well because they were black and white. But with the Conan too, I picked up the uh, reprint of the Conan one. The, it looks really good. I don't know if they had the film. Or the plates? Did they do them in black and white? Yeah, they're all black and white. Well, the, the reason they they look decent is because you can take a black and white scan. Oh, just through a stat? It. Did they recolor them? No, they're not recolored at all. Yeah, because here's the thing. The magazines were, were bigger. 
Yeah. So to do it comic size, you're getting a little reduction, which is going to improve the line quality. But it's also just done from black and white, and it was printed a little better right. because they were able to do um, halftone and wash screen, you know, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the tighter tighter screens and stuff because they had a, a better, so the printing itself was better. Right. So that's why you're probably getting a better result from it. No, it's really well done. I mean, if uh, next time I see you, the Savage Sword of Conan omnibus was nice. I didn't pick up the second volume, but I got a deal on the first one. It was like 60 bucks, And uh, the cover price was like 125 but some guy sold it to me for 60 it's great. I mean, the, the, you can yeah. see all the... It's John Buscema, our Ernie Chan is inking them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Star, no, Starlin's got... Oh, you have the original magazines? Yeah, I have, I have probably like four boxes of uh, all the Marvel magazines. Well, I know Scott Martin collects all the uh, Planet of the Apes magazines. He had Planet all of the Apes. I was just going to mention that. Uh, Mike Plug did Planet of the Apes. Those oh, were yeah? Great. And Pete Craig yeah. Russell did a lot of those, too? Yeah, well... Plug had done. He was doing wash the wash work, you know, the gray wash on this on his stories, and it was just really beautiful stuff. You yeah. could tell he was enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but the, there was also the <clears throat> Marvel did these. Um, well, that first Star Lord, obviously. Yeah, I got that thing. over here. Yeah. Um, but the, beyond the horror books, they also had. What was the? Um, they, well, they had the, the Howard the Duck was a magazine. No, that didn't come out till later. I had those. But I'm, I'm saying, sitting right here they, looking at the first issue here. Gene I'm not Colonel saying Art. that, but the Marvel, the magazines actually, the Howard the Duck was coming out in the later 70s. Yeah, they had the Hulk magazine. Yeah. They had Howard the Duck and magazine. The Hulk, right. yep. And then they had, uh, they John, would do those Marvel yeah. premiere magazines. They would have like yeah. Kiss and the movie adaptations. John, John Beatty's first first work, uncredited. He was helping out. I think um, Bob McCloud was inking the Howard the Duck. And he was helping Bob with some, I don't know if he was helping him with, whether it was Zipatone or doing, you know, some menial task or whatever, but I remember him doing that at the, he was pretty young at the point, at that point. <clears throat> but I think Bob was in Florida, or some, he had some connection somehow, either through Mike Zach or something, but... Uh, yeah, the the the, the whole magazine. If business. we were doing our video podcast, Jerry, right now well, I, I have just to bring all the bag. I no, I just I just I just I just reached behind me because I was doing this the other day. I was on a video podcast and we were talking about comics, and I just made a mess here. But in my hands right now is yeah. from October number one, one dollar Howard the Duck magazine. Stanley proudly yeah. presents a Marvel magazine. And yeah. it is, let me tell you the year, it is 1979. 79, okay. And it's Jim Shooter, Editor-in-Chief, Rick yep. Marshall, Editor, Ralph Macchio, yep. not the Karate Kid, Mark Runewald is, ins right. is Insulting Editor, whatever that means. Yeah. Roy well, Thomas, probably worked on that. Well, hold on, Roy Thomas is Consulting, Lenny Grow, Production yep. Manager, Nora Macklin, Yep. design director john ramita jr is art consultant yeah. and we right. have uh the following joe rosen jim novak mike higgins are letterers peter ledger david l david a lichter dale yeah. i don't know what that, ed norton so what, and then did ledger do the color uh, the color they no it's black and white is it, is it a black and white magazine it just says staff and such but oh, i'm looking okay. right now here's the artist bill mantlo mike golden and klaus jansen on the first story yep. Second story yep. is Bill Mantlo, Gene Colon, and Bob McLeod. Yep. And the last one is Bill Mantlo, Gene Colon, and Dave Simmons. Yeah. And that's the artist on this particular book. 
Yeah. And so you're saying some of this work is not all Bob? It's it's a little bit of John? Oh, no, no, it's not that. It's that I think Bob gave Beatty a, a, a break and, and John was helping out. I mean, it doesn't mean the guy was drawing it for no, him. No, no, it just no. means it's really nice. He could have been erasing. He could have been erasing the uh, pencils so that uh, Bob could do the washes or something like that. But this is but the that book magazine ran. A chair it ran a while. Out. Yeah. Oh, the, I remember this page sixty-three. This was a big deal when nineteen seventy-nine. Huh? Sexy stuff. Sexy stuff. You got a topless Beverly here. Yeah, and they're in bed. I mean, I was like, how old was I? Eleven. This is uh, pornography when I was a kid. <laughs> well, pornography for me was when they did Savage Savage Tales number one as a magazine. Yeah. In nineteen seventy one, maybe. Yeah. It was right around around the time that they were trying to do the Spider Man magazine. Well, they that. still have uh, uh, Dracula because in the back there's an ad here for Dracula yeah. by Marv Wolfman and Gene Cullen. Sixty four yeah. blood curdling black and white pages of adult fantasy. Yeah. Other fearsome yeah, pictures on sale in August. Yeah. No, the line had, had trimmed down by then, but it was still around even into the early 80s. <clears throat> and then they did Epic, yeah. which was their version of uh, heavy metal, really. Yep. <clears throat> and Archie Goodwin was the editor of that, and he was editing the Marvel Magazine stuff, I think, in 1980, because I went to, to New York. After I'd already done, I'd, I'd agreed to do All-Star Squadron. Yeah. Made a trip in December of 1980, yeah. like a week before John John Lennon was shot. Actually, which was weird, but um, I went up to Marvel late like November. Mike Zek, what's that? Late November, because he got killed on December 7th. Yeah, yeah, I was there in the beginning of December because I went to, I went for an illustrator's workshop, which right. was Bob Peak and um, Mark English and those guys. Movie poster Bob Peak. Yeah, they did a workshop where you could. It was a two-day thing. It was like a, yeah. I think it was a Thursday, Friday, or something. Right. And uh, and then in between, I, I, Mike Zach and John Beatty, we met up with them. I'd never known. I knew John through like fanzine stuff, yeah. but uh, we met up with him, and they took us to up to Marvel, and I got to show my painting samples to Archie Goodwin, because I really wanted to paint covers for the Hulk, <laughs> for the magazines. And I showed my painting samples to Archie, and I was really hoping. And Archie goes, I like your painting samples, but your comic samples are really great, and I'm going to show them to Jim Shooter. And I'm like, uh. So Shooter came in, and he goes, yeah, I think we could give you work. And I'm like, uh, I just agreed to do All-Star Squadron for DC. So that <clears throat> kind of set my path. I was just hoping that it was, an exclusive, it was not an right. exclusive contract that I would be able to do. Because Marvel was the only one doing painted covers, yeah, you know, um, at the time, and I really wanted to do color work. So it just was funny. But Archie was editing the Hulk magazine, all the, whatever was left, and I think he ushered in the uh, Epic magazine yep. stuff. And then they did Weird World, and you mentioned the um, one of those names you mentioned was the guy who Peter Ledger was, I think, Australian. Yeah, he did the full color, a lot of full color coloring, like when they did the Weird World book. Mike Plug uh, drew that, and uh, Peter Ledger did the color on it. He colored a lot, maybe the movie specials as well. Yeah, he was he was definitely like an interesting choice. He, he definitely had more of a, I think, a painter background or something. And uh, well, that was a very exciting time. And that, you're talking about again, if anybody worked in regular comics in 1979, 1980, you would want to work on the magazines because the printing was better in the comics. That was like the low point in. in comic printing was really 
probably from 80, 70, well, maybe 78 through about the advent of the flexographic because the presses kept breaking down. Right. And the presses were, at that point, from maybe the early part of the century. Yeah. So no one was manufacturing new presses, new letter press. So as they break down, you'd basically they would scavenge the broken down one for parts for the other ones. But year after year, more of those presses were, were, were breaking down and they were just, you know, that they kind of went, they had to go with a different printing, you know, printing thing, a source or whatever at a certain point because they, they didn't have enough presses to print all the comics. Well, But it was, it was the low point, really. That was, newsprint was expensive. Obviously, uh, you know, the direct sale market was the thing that saved it really did save everything because they didn't have they didn't have returns, so you didn't have to overprint books by more than half. You know, um, that was that led to better printing. That led to you know, really, it was a, a lifesaver for the whole industry. Well, here's something for you. As I, I reach back for my Howard the Duck magazine, we all know how painful that could be. I just found uh, my, my, back. my Soupy Sales limited edition magazine that I don't know how I got a hold of this one. And I'm looking in the back, and there's an ad here. I'm going to post this up on Facebook. It says, your idea for a TV program may be worth 1000 to $5,000 or more. says, wow. Leslie Goodwins, leading Hollywood director of Sunset Strip, a star theater, and Maverick. No special talent, to, no special talent needed. That's us, buddy. Uh, all subjects considered. Send brief ideas to complete well, and there's an ad right next to to the eight millimeter monsters. Your own movies and slides for all projectors and viewers. You can buy an eight millimeter projector for only four dollars and ninety eight cents. And here's here's why you want it. Ready? You can get fifty foot reels or two hundred foot reels. You can get the Blob starring Steve McQueen, the Four D Man starring Robert Lansing. I never saw the Four D Man. Oh, it's an interesting one, yeah. My Son the Vampire with Bella Lugosi. Never saw that. Dinosaurs with Ward Ramsey. The Giant Claw. I don't know. Then there's the Three Stooges are listed here. It's Malice at Malice in the Palace. We Want Our Mummy. I know, I know that one. Spooks. Ants in My Pantry. Grips, Grunts, and Groans. I don't remember that episode. And then... Uh, Whole Romer? No, Idle Romers. And the price is a dollar ninety-eight for each movie or three for four ninety-eight. If you want the two hundred foot complete movie, it's five ninety-eight or three for fourteen ninety-five. And the wow. thing of it is, I don't think any of these are talkies. I think these are all No, no, you yeah, they were all silent. So you eight would, millimeter Yeah. There's no there's no sound on this thing. They added sound. Into, at the at the end of the eight millimeter era, yeah, they actually did have sound, but they uh, that didn't catch on, and it really kind of overlapped a little bit with the beginning of the video recording. You know the VCR. yeah Betamax Betamax yeah. recorder. Well, there's a lot of ads in the back of this magazine for eight millimeter stuff. It's just funny. You can oh, get yeah. well, monster movies do, and all the rest. Uh, they were edited versions too, as I recall, because they they uh, two hundred foot reel really I think would give you. At the most, maybe twenty minutes. Oh, because I mean, yeah, the the old, um, as I recall, when I had my eight millimeter. Uh, oh, this you know what this magazine fifty foot. Yeah, it was like a fifty foot reel or something, or no, it was a twenty five foot reel. But you'd film the you'd film it and then you'd you'd 
you'd get to the end and you would flip it over. Yeah. And then when they processed it, they'd split it down the middle, and that you know that way you got a longer. I think you got a fifty foot uh, little reel of I'm, film. Which I'm, only I'm wondering if this magazine I'm holding in my hands. I got to check the publisher has anything to do with Charlton because on the back cover there's Record Riot, sixty Smash Records for two ninety eight. Includes top pop rhythm folks, you know, music galore, complete record library, blah 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 blah. But it says money back guarantee. It's here's the address: Hit Records, PO Box one fifty one, Derby, Connecticut. Yeah. And there's no well, they zip code. Took an ad. I mean, they yeah. probably took an ad out. And oh. who knows? Maybe they printed. They, Soupy Sales they, Magazine. Yep, right there. If they they could have printed that Soupy Sales Magazine, you know. Yeah, they, that's a winner. I bet that's worth at least about a nickel. I have a lot of stuff here in Mitch's basement world here. <laughs> we'll have to do the video thing next time because it's it's scary down here in my bunker. I have a table set up here. A lot of weird stuff. A lot of well, weird can... stuff. <laughs> how many how many hours have we done so far? We're only doing it. We're finishing on one hour right now. That's it. It seems longer than it is. And how do you think the listeners feel right about now? Thanks, Jer, for reminding them they're an hour closer to death, which is hopefully a far, far away. Um. All right, that's it. We're gonna wrap this one up here, talking about the mighty boar. I mean Thor, and then Jer- Jerry's history of newsprint paper. That's right. It's like a bad David Letterman episode. Tune in next week. So when we hear about the origins of the toothpick, what's the I'll best? I'm gonna do like a flying drop kick and hit you in the head. No, you know you'll get banned from your show. You could be uh, Crispin Glover's. Uh, <laughs> Hey, do you know his father was in uh, Diamonds Are Forever? Well, isn't it, is Julian? Yeah. Was his father? He's he the, was in a, the two bad guys? He was in Hammer movies. He was also, was he in, in either Indiana Jones or Star Wars? Too? No, he was not in, no, no. No, that's Julian Glover. That's no Oh, that's issue. not who his father was. So. No. Oh, oh, okay, because you, I, I thought No, you but if you watch, do you remember those two guys from the Diamonds Are Forever? Mr. So-and-so, Mr. I can't remember their name. They were really 70s. I haven't seen ones. it in a while, so. Oh, it is what it is. But that's his dad. Oh, okay. That so that I can see, because I just thought, I just watched the uh, what? Quatermass and the Pit. The what now? Uh, which was a Hammer movie. With Vincent and, Price? Uh, Julian, Julian, no, Julian Glover was in that one playing the uh, British, like, the head of military or something. Speaking um, of, besides reading comics all night, I am starting <laughs> to watch, like... I'm trying to. I hate when people go, oh, you got to go watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I go, how many seasons is it? Oh, about seven or eight. That's about 200-something episodes. I go, look, it might be great. I'm sure it's fantastic. Just the thought of sitting in front of the TV for 200 hours just freaks yeah, me out. Yeah, but you, know, you could watch a season and, and be, and take you know, a break. If, you liked it, if you liked it, you could go ahead. If you didn't, you know. Well, um, Buffy was a good show, and Angel was a, was a good show, too. I liked Angel. In some ways, I liked it better. It was yeah. A little crazier because John Centris. I talked to him. He's watching old fifties variety shows and oh, yeah. all the odd couples and stuff. He gets into but that. It's not like they're not producing new shows. No, I know. You know, but you know like it's told- one thing to go, oh, there's new new comics out, so I'm going to start reading my back issues. Yeah, but uh, he, but he told me some sad news that because of the rights, the way they do music, a yeah. lot of the old shows that you might have seen that had a, a song in it. Yeah. They don't have that anymore, so they took it out. So he was talking about some old Odd Couple episode where Felix and Murray the Cop, uh, Oscar meets his wife, Blanche, and he's in his army. He got drafted, and they're in the bunkhouse, or the barracks, 
So they got married. There's no there. There's no music. So it's uh, Felix Unger, Tony Randall, serenades Oscar and Blanche on their wedding night with mm-hmm. Murray the cop playing a harmonica, and I I can't remember what the song they sang was, but you can't. There's no music now. That scene no. has no sound. They're just dancing to nothing because they didn't have the rights to whatever song Tony Randall sang. So it's it's an odd thing now to go back and watch. Because think, I, of how, think of how many shows had a Happy Birthday to You song in it. And they got that, that out? That Well, wasn't that one that Michael it was, Jackson... Yeah, he owned right? it for a while, yeah. yeah. But the other one is uh, Northern Exposure, which is one of my favorite shows. That... Yeah. When they put that on DVD and VHS or whatever format, yeah. all the soundtracks were taken out because they didn't have the yeah. rights. So they put some well, generic was, music in there. That was why St. Elsewhere was was not on DVD in the heyday of DVD. Because they didn't have the rights? It took many years. Because the, yeah, the first episode has Springsteen. The first episode has... It had a whole bunch of uh, then-current songs in, in that, uh, right. you know... Because they were young guys working in the hospital, and they, you know, they thought that hey, instead of doing like canned music, like yeah, most of the yeah, show, yeah, we'll do it like American Graffiti, which was like one of the few movies that managed to keep their soundtrack because Lucas was smart. But enough I think it's easier, for, it's easier for them to negotiate with a movie as opposed to a series where there could be potentially, you know, a lot more songs over a season. You know, yeah. I don't know how. I my wife has that Peloton bike, and when she was doing that, I was like. How do they get all the rights to all these songs? Because they have these workout sessions where they're playing, you know, Tiffany, or not Tiffany, what's her name? Yeah. Taylor Swift and right, all this, but you know. Those are all, those are all stu- things that are, for the most part, were written with digital rights already included. Well, she does a lot of older, stuff. there's some older but ones, they do like Springsteen and the battles, Rolling Stones. The, bat- the battles for the when the DVDs were coming out, the yeah. battle was that none of the artist agreements included digital rights because digital rights didn't exist when they so that was renegotiated gotcha I think that's what happened is that you know maybe the first couple of them they had to negotiate individually but then I think they had to go to the well rights, it's it's, you know, a, it's an interesting thing to watch a show that you you remember having a certain song and now it's not there like wait what yeah what? well I think about when I remember when uh, I would read Stephen King books in, in when they were coming out in the early yeah in the seventies or whatever, and I remember he'd do a lot of lyrics, like little shout outs and quotes from Rolling Stone songs, and there was always like a little, you know, music rights thing for the lyrics, right? And uh, and that that really, I don't remember that. That seemed new with him. I don't know if other authors were doing that at the time, but I remember him using uh, uh, Rolling Stones for the Shining, yeah, not the Shining for the, the stand, yeah. And uh, it seemed like a like a major thing at the time, but I'm sure, you know, it's it, the world's kind of contracted to a de- degree from doing that. No, you know, I mean, like uh, when I was well, you know, when we went into, you drove me into to do that interview for the Crisis TV show. Yeah, and the guys doing the footage, I wanted me to draw, and they couldn't show my iPad. I had my iPad with me because I thought... Yeah, because you know, Apple didn't have I was, the I had rights. to look at yeah. reference or whatever and, and stuff and they were like, oh, you can you get that out of the picture? And yep. then anything with any kind of logo had to be removed because it would require them to either negotiate or pay for a product placement. And I'm like, you know, in, in this, again, in the 70s, the big thing was, oh, look, you could draw, like, 
the you know at Marvel they could throw a McDonald's in the background yeah. because that reflected real life. It wasn't like oh this is a proprietary trademark. It was you know in theory yeah. good for McDonald's to be reflected in popular culture. And you know in the seven in the eighties at DC we weren't allowed to do that. And I always thought it was weird. It was like, oh, you can't use McDonald's because that's a trademark company. And there's like, that's where we, you know, my first issue of Infinity, or second issue of Infinity, Inc. took place inside of McDonald's, and I had to change everything. Well, wasn't that the same guy that told us that the reason you can always tell who the bad guy in a movie is is because when Apple allows the products being used... Yeah, the, yeah the, 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 villain, the villain or the bad guy will never use an Apple iPhone because right, they don't right. allow that. So if you're watching a movie and you see a suspect or a character you think that might have done it and he's using any other type of I or right. mobile phone, right. you know he's the killer. If he's got an Apple, right. he's not the killer. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, I've noticed what I've noticed is it's true. Like when I was watching that uh, Sneaky Pete on yeah. Amazon and I was seeing people using iPhones and stuff, but then I'd see people like, wait, someone's using a flip phone? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I yeah. get it. Because if, if you use something that's, you know, like obsolete, it doesn't really have to work because it's a movie. Right. <laughs> you know? It was interesting. But yeah, uh, yeah the, the, it's weird though because like you, you couldn't use, you know, the, the any kind of product thing. And yeah. it's, I, I kept thinking like, well, heck, how could you draw any classic scene of Times Square in 1942 and not be able to use the giant signs. Well, you know? even in Captain like, America, when he runs out, the first Avenger, he runs out into Times Square at the end of the movie. Yeah. He's downtown Manhattan, and they right, have those right. billboards. They have the Coca-Cola sign and all that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I swear I saw it on one of the, the cable channels that was running like TNT or TBS or whatever. And they had blocked out a lot of the ads. Were they blurred out? They were blurred out. Yeah, it was like because when I saw it on my DVD, they're they're there. But if I go to watch it on TV, like the ads for this, I think there was an ad for The Simpsons that's gone. Yeah. A Coca Cola thing might have blurred. You know what's a famous one is Grease, the movie John Travolta and Olivia Newton John. Right. When they would have, uh, they're at a, a malt shop, a soda shop. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know what was going on because I would watch it on TV and they're in the malt shop with Dee Dee Khan. She's about to sing a beauty right. school dropout. Well, right. behind Sandy, uh, what, yeah, Sandy's the character, there was this weird giant red blurry thing and it was oh. you could tell it's a Coca-Cola logo yeah. because it's got the red and white swoosh thing, you know? But they had a, they blurred it out with like Vaseline or something on the lens. I don't know what it was. It was yeah. just this distracting fuzzy yeah. blurry blob behind everyone's head I'm like what the hell is that and it was the Coca-Cola that is kind of weird well there, I just I thought I saw something just a day ago or whatever I was reading uh, maybe I was reading the Hollywood Reporter but it's something about some that some movie or some some show had to be delayed because they had to digitally remove uh, one of the characters was wearing a Simpsons t-shirt oh get out really <laughs> yeah so I mean I understand it yeah. but it's crazy in that everything again, it's the IP. Everything's yep. an IP, and yep. everything therefore, if you show it, should. There's no sense of, again, like it would seem like you'd want your product to get free advertising. Right, but no, they you don't know? do that anymore. Now, even when we do these video recording things, where we go somewhere, they're like, make sure there's no logo on your shirt, make yeah. sure it's planned, you know, because they don't want you promoting anything. Even a comic book convention, it's funny. Uh, there's a video out, uh, comic shop. 
My Comic Shop Country, uh, the uh-huh. guy made the documentary. He filmed at Cave Comics and all. Yeah, comics. You're in it. I'm in it. Because they were there that day that we you did the uh, Action Comics 1000 signing with Walt and Louise and uh, Tomasi. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're and all. There's an actual thing out already. Yeah, it's, not, it's it's 3.99. Pat's in it from Cave Comics. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called My Comic Book Country. Huh. And uh, I watched it the other day. I rented it. And I saw, I said, oh, there's Terrificon. Because when they talked to Mark Hammond at, oh, yeah, and Franco, there's an, right. a, a Terrificon poster in the front. There's a postcard. There, uh, when they right. show you doing the signing, I'm not kind of promoting a show. But, again, this is an independent documentary, so I don't think they care. Yeah. But, but it, is, it seems it very cool. restrictive. It seems very restrictive if you're doing something. Does, I mean, even if it's, can't you get away with it if it's considered newsworthy? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you do that? How do you? report on the news I mean well, again say someone someone uh, kills somebody in a KFC do they blur the KFC no, line no, in, the, no. in the, the news footage maybe you know that's because if there's it, news it, that's different than a f- because it's, fiction it's, but, but then why wouldn't the comic book documentary be considered I, that I don't you know that's I what I'm saying know. it seems like a weird I know there's a no-no when I'm on the radio and I talk about, you know, a store or something. They, they frown upon that because they're like, well, yeah. you know, don't mention your, your friend the plumber because that's right. free advertisement. It's like, oh, I love going right. to Cave Comics in Newtown, Connecticut. And the other day we were at Colony Grill in Fairfield, Connecticut. Right. So, right. Well, like, hey, you mention your plumber and you get free P-traps for a year. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, that's Hey, anybody right. want a P-trap? I got like 40 of them in a- in the garage. <laughs> Again, the name of that plumber would be <laughs> Acme Plumbing. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. We've been talking for a while. But hey, we should do, I mean, it's not what? bad to do a shout out to uh, uh, the you're, fact you're that we plumber? missed being in Colony. No, we missed being in Colony Pizza. Colony Grill. I missed that one. And, 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 Road. and the Candlewood Coffee. Yeah. I mean, I hope these places Fair are field. able to to. to Stay, stay well, I know around. Colony's open for takeout. You can still get pizzas. Yeah. It's you know. But I think the coffee place must as well. But obviously, people can't come and sit in there. So. No, not at the moment. No, and hopefully, like I said, this resolves itself soon. Because yeah. I, if I read more Thor, I might my eyes might start bleeding. But it's it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. After Thor, I'm in the middle of reading a bunch a bunch of different uh, omnibuys. Yeah. Uh, I just I, I'll pick up one and start reading like thirty stories in one. Put it down another one. Because I'm not getting my hey, new you, comics. You, to, you should s- send me a, either s- send me a picture of your ones. You said you have two volumes of those. No, I didn't get them yet. I want to buy them. Oh, oh. They're on a cheap. Oh, here's another plug: cheapcomicbooks. Oh no, cheapgraphicnovels.com oh. or in stock trades. I think they're only like fifty. Uh, when do they come out? They they're already out. out. They're already out. Oh, okay. Uh, the, I, tried to, I was trying to buy. Um, which one? I, I was wanting to read some of those Werewolf by Nights, and I had like maybe ten issues. I never saved the other ones, I guess, from the later run. Oh, I have that one. That one actually, you can get that in the secondary market. That's still cheap. That's like 40 bucks for the entire run. Because I thought one of those was out of print. One of, the Tomb of Dracula's was way up there. That's the thing with these things. If you don't get them when they're out, yeah. I'm kicking myself. I lost, I don't know how, I think one night we were cleaning up the, um, the dining room and I had stuff boxes. I think I put my Spider-Man Volume 2 in a box and just threw it out because oh, yeah. I've never found it again and I try to go buy a second one it's like 400 bucks they'll do the first volume you can buy Spider-Man Volume 1 you can buy uh, well, there's probably volume some of on the first 
one. Yeah, the the, the Spider Man Volume Four, which was like the issue one twenties. No, yeah. that thing's already like three hundred bucks. I'm glad I picked it up for fifty when it was out. But Scott Martin, we were just talking to him. He bought the Iron Man Volume One and Volume Two when it first came out because Amazon used to blow them out for like fifty dollars. Yeah. Those are three hundred dollars each now on eBay. Oh wow! Because he was talking about buying. Uh, he likes the Marvel Milestones, or is that what they're called? The thinner ones? No, the Masterworks. The Masterworks, because you could hold them. He said they're easier to read. Yeah. Because the Omnibus well, is the way comic, about Comic pounds. proportion size, so they fit on a shelf. Yeah, but the, the Omnibus is literally about seven pounds sometimes. You're holding And they're pick. also slightly taller, so that's the problem, I think. The, the Masterworks? The, no, the Omnibus. Omnibuses uh, are usually like... Maybe ten percent bigger than the actual printed comic size. So well, they are. They, they do reprint some of them because I know that the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy one was out of print for a long time, and that just yeah. came back. That was a good one because it's nice to sit down and read, like I said, the entire thirty or forty issues in one sitting yeah. or whatever instead of trying yeah, to. Yeah, I, I don't see. I'd, I'd rather have a smaller volume with maybe ten issues or twelve issues. I think that's it's a little bit more bite-sized and less Im- less imposing. You know. It's like a job when you have to go pick up that Thor book that weighs six pounds. You go, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't see. I don't, personally, I'm not a big fan of the omnibuses just because I think they they're unwieldy. Well, even know, those to, even those masterworks, they were going for like you know thirty, forty dollars. You can get them discounted, but even the aftermarket, yeah. some of those are eighty dollars or more yeah. to get. And it probably depends on this again on the sales, the how many copies were put out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, DC. Well, DC's bad about it. They they solicit a lot, but then they cancel it because I don't think they get enough orders for it. You know. Yeah, but this is true. With I, someone, I was just talking to somebody recently. I picked up the Mac Raboy Master of the Comics from Tomorrow's. It's a hardcover. It came yeah. out maybe a year ago, and then they did a Reed Crandall one. Again, hardcover, really nice. But I pre-ordered them through Diamond through the previews. And uh, I was telling some people about them, and then one guy they came back to me. Goes, "Hey, these they're, they're out of print, and they're like you know, a hundred bucks on uh, <clears throat> on eBay or whatever." And it's like, "Wow, that seems like an opportunity to do a second printing." But a lot of these things I think were printed in China, yeah, and they were probably printed with a fixed number at a fixed price. So they'd have to, you know, th- there's not enough maybe demand to do an, an additional three thousand print run. So it drives that back. It, it drives the back issue or the, the you know retail yeah. market up. Well, there's a lot of weird I stuff mean, like the Hulk Volume One Omnibus. That thing's been out of print for like ten years now, and that goes yeah. for three or four hundred dollars. But it's like, wouldn't you think you'd have like an evergreen? Like you know how you have your Death of Superman and your Watchmen that yeah. they're always in print. Certain characters, I'm like, you're not gonna always have like yeah. the X Men right now. That's out right. of print. X Men Volume One. All the Kirby yeah. and Lee stuff, you can't get that. It's, well, it's Marvel, you know, here's the thing, though. Marvel, when they did, they started doing the Masterworks in the, I want to say it was in the, in the 90s. 90s. Yeah, I remember when they were coming up. No, it was in the 90s, because I used to start seeing, maybe late 80s, early 90s, I used yeah. to start seeing them in bookstores. Yeah. Yeah, so here's what they did. They started, they were doing hardcovers, and they were always like around 50 bucks new. Yeah. But after they did their first, say, 10 or 15 of them, I know they put out a soft cover version of at yeah. least some of those volumes, and that was, you know, at a, like a $20, $25 price or something. So there's got to be a fair amount of those floating around. I don't know if they're... Well, they would have those... Like, remember they had those really inexpensive trays, but they were like $9, but they were black and white? 
Yeah, the, right. They, like DC did the showcase. Yeah, I have your All Star Squad. The only one I have is black yeah. and white, and that's like Marvel a, did it's a essentials. I, cause, yeah, I have a I have a couple of the essentials. I have the Tomb of Dracula essentials, and I have the Wolverine one because they were printed in black and white, and those both look good in black and white. Yeah, I think I have the essential Human Torch, the essential Dracula, the essential Ant Man. Yeah, um, Avengers. Yeah, I, I, those were good because, as reference, they were good because they oh, were yeah. black and white. They were, you yeah. know. But Marvel's doing a second line now. They call them the Epic Collection. Do you know what these are? Uh-huh. Yeah, you, uh-huh. you were just in one of them, I think. They had your uh, Captain America story reprinted. They're black and white. They'll be a certain subject matter. I'm, not, uh-huh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're not black and white. They're color. And what they do is the, it's a trade paperback, and they'll say, okay, this is Captain America meets the Avengers or the Invaders. So they'll grab like seven or eight stories that from different people, different eras that have to do with that right. theme, and they'll put them in one trade, and it's only like twenty three dollars. It's not a lot of money. So what, when, where did they, what one did they do in mine? They just did your uh, the one that you and Roy did last year with the. Oh, 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 yeah. Those those were all the one, but that one was that was I like two weeks ago. Yeah, those were the all the the new ones. Yeah, but they do those weren't retro ones, but they were they were the ones that they printed for the. Whatever the seventh, eightieth anniversary. Oh, that oh, that was the theme on that one. But they do have, like I said, they'll call them epic collections, and okay. they'll have it broken down. Like you'll have just a certain theme. Like this is Spider-Man meets the Kingpin. So they'll get all those right. stories and put them in one trade. And yeah, no, that's kind that's of a it. cool idea. Yeah, Daredevil's done that too. Like if you want to read certain Daredevil storylines, you could just pick up those, and they're they're not that expensive. You can get them for like eighteen bucks on eBay or yeah. I mean Amazon. But even those well, though, maybe. when they go out of print, dude. They're worth big money. Like they had Moon Knight. They yeah. did three volumes of Moon Knight. Uh, Bill Sienkiewicz one, yeah. Doug Munch, and then there was like a couple others. I bought the first volume because it was a collection of all those Hulk magazine backup stories. Right. And right. I'm like, oh, I haven't read these since I was a kid. And then they did volume two, which were some other Moon Knight appearances, like maybe Werewolf by Night and all the other right. guest appearances. Right. Those are all like $80 to 100 now. I'm like, what the hell is this all about? So, well, but again, it's got to be... The, here, here's the thing. It's a low press run. Yeah. Well, the fact that this is what's weird to me is that if they're printing, and again, because the China printing was cheap, they're printing for, for stuff in China, there's still got to be yeah. a, a decent shipping charge because it's coming from uh, across the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which you wouldn't necessarily incur if you printed those in some local region. You know, well, I mean, I, I wonder when this is all over, if this is going to be a lot of available who could do a 2,000 print run of a trade paperback. There's got to be. I'm just There's wondering if the world's going to go back to more homegrown, you know, production a little bit, maybe. I don't know. Well, I know so many printers that are out of business, dude. I used to be in the catalog yeah. business. And no, I know. That's what I'm saying. Though. Thousands like, of printers are out of business. I understand that, and that's terrible. But think about this. Here's another one: is we're we're how many years into this presidency, which was all branded on you know making America, making American stuff, and four years, almost four years in, how much stuff has is being made here? None. Yeah. You know they they're they're dependent on China, who has already gone through the Corona thing, yeah. to get medical supplies, and yeah. that's always been an issue you know yeah. i mean we at least still grow some food here but you go to the grocery store and you see like what why are there green peppers coming from you South know america or something yeah 
well, they, they could be coming from Belgium or something. Yeah. You go, why? Yeah. Well, it's whatever. It is, it, it is. That's what I'm saying. Like with the printing stuff, if you could get some of these books printed locally, yeah. you're going to have a less less of a shipping charge, but you're also going to have probably an easier ability to do a, a, a second print or, or something. Oh, I told you, all that Vistaprint stuff that we get for the shows, for the Terrificon and GamerCon, I yeah. buy it from Vistaprint, and I was like, why is this stuff so cheap? And not only that, it would be here in days. I'd order like 10,000 postcards, and they would yeah. be here in three or four days. Because they were subletting it to small printers around the country, trying to right. keep those guys That's busy, you know. Vistaprint is like FD, like the uh, FTD, the, the florist company. place. Yeah. yeah, you're you're ordering it on uh, at a company, and they're basically shipping like, yeah. it out from your store. That's nearby. It's like house. a print broker, you know. Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, that's and and you know the one that I, the company that I use for printing my comics. Um, was in in Michigan, so yeah. you have to pay a shipping charge. But they're capable of doing whatever. It's just that you know you're printing a smaller print run. It's too expensive per copy. If I was printing two thousand copies or something, yeah. If I had that much, you know, that many orders, it would right. be great. You could do it at, at a reasonable price, and you could, you know, yeah. still maybe make money if you're selling them and shipping them. But uh, no, it's just it, something it's possible. Printing is just one of those things. Like I used to, I did it for from '89 to 2000 or whatever. But it was always amazing how much printers there were. Yeah. Huge. I used to go to Quebecor Printing. I used to be up way yep. I, the one in the Midwest. Uh, well, Quad Graphics. Milwaukee. Yeah, right. I used to be in Wisconsin. That that was the industry for the entire uh, county. Everybody yeah. worked at the Quad Graphics uh, place. Right. You know, well, they all they wore print, suits. I mean, yeah. Again, in those days, they printed stuff like they would print magazines. Oh, no, they were print. Oh, Playboy, which, by the way, they just ended the print uh, thing last week or two weeks ago. There's no more Playboy magazine. It's out of business, Uh, which is like, oh, wow, Playboy's out. Me letting my subscription lapse. Yeah, that was you doing it. No, but I would go to these places that would print Sports Illustrated, Playboy, Sears Catalogs. uh, But they also ran regional ads. That's the thing people don't remember is that if you bought a Playboy in the Midwest, it would have a different ad selection yeah. than what you got on the West Coast or whatever, which allowed more regional business. Well, uh, somebody told me years ago, I, th- I think it was the R.R. The, R. Donnelly, I used to go to that printer's, and they would print Playboy, and they would show me, on the cover, they had like little stars. Right. And I said, oh, what is that? And somebody, the, the folklore would be, oh, that's, you know, what Hef would think of whoever the model was that month, how many stars he gave her. What right. that it was, where it, was it was meant where it was printed, yeah. So you could yeah. tell if it was printed out in Chicago, if it was printed right. out in Philadelphia, if it was printed in the West Coast. So there was, yeah, and then based on that, you are right, they would have guys that would sell ads to that Pacific area and say, oh, you're going to do something in Massachusetts, buy an ad on this page and that page. But Don't all that's gone that. too, you know. But think of this as a, as a, not to extend this too long, but the, as a comic distribution source. Right. If DC and Marvel, as we started talking about how they're seeking alternative, maybe, methods, what if DC and Marvel... Started doing local ads could again? Take, could take, no, but they could, if they could print regionally. I mean, they're, I they're would sending love files that. digitally. I would, you no. files digitally, you print up, a, you know, a couple thousand copies yeah. in Chicago, and those could be distributed within a couple of state territory or whatever. I, I mean, I don't know. I think okay. what, what Nick does, over Nick Barucci at Dynamite, he does his books like, I think, a week or two, and they, do, they don't do great volumes of press run. They do yeah. small press run. But I would give Nick ads for a Terrificon, and he would put them on the back cover, 
And I thought that was great because I was like, hey, if you're going to do a show in the Northeast, advertise yeah. in the comic books because that's where your audience is. They're buying the right, books every right. week. Put it on the back cover. But the I don't I don't even know if Marvel does ads anymore. I don't see ads. Well, Maybe Reed Expo, something huge. Like they're that. not doing much. They're not doing much advertising at all. It's they're all house ads. It's house ads, but it's also if it's an ad, it's like oh here's the Marvel characters selling Frito Lay. Oh, no, or it's Disney product. It's like Disney. Well, I'm just saying that those the ads the ads that like DC's done that where the ads are if you turn in the page you think wait is this part of the comic and it's like oh wait it's the it's for some product. Yeah, it's for, yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's a weird thing, but you don't, you know, you might see a movie ad once in a while. Yeah, a lot of movie rarely, ads. Rarely. Yeah. Rarely, but that used to be some kind of, uh, that used to be some kind of money for them, and I know that with Marvel, when Marvel's shipping hit lower than whatever those thresholds, they would ship stores, copies of comics for free. Yeah. Just so that they, I mean, I'm sure it was so they wouldn't have to return the advertising money because, when you're selling ads, you're selling it based on a specific circulation. And if right. the book or the books or the line doesn't hit that number, you either <laughs> get copies out for free or you have to return the money. Yeah. So, oh, wow. so, I mean, I'm sure it's a harder business to, to do, but by the same token, if you could buy a regional ad for your convention and it was cheaper than buying a nationwide ad, yeah. that would be a win. Yes, you it know? would. Yeah. So... Well, you did bring it back to the DC thing, which was great because you won the award for putting us back on track. After a one hour and ninety uh, ninety minutes later, Jerry brings it back home. Full circle is what we like here at the Power Cosmic Podcast. It's all about symmetry. So there you go. So I'm going to wrap this one up, Jerry. We'll be back next week, same bat time, same bunker channel. And next week we may be we may be, uh, we may be up for doing a visual a, a visual one. I'll have to put pants on next time. As I sit well, in the basement. Well, how much shows? It depends <laughs> on how you, I mean, we want to start monetizing the show, Jerry. So we got to get the ratings. We got to get the money, and sex sells, and that's what's going to happen. Should I? I'll set my uh, I'll set my iPad with the camera down in the basement where I have my workout stuff, and I'll there just, you go. Uh, you could uh, you, you could make a green screen. You could do stuff. Yeah, they can pay extra can for I? that, and it's a separate charge if they want to upgrade. To see us. Well, my background, if, if I do this from here, from my drawing table, my background has a spinner rack, and it has my Popeye curtains and some toys along the well, top. My spinner so. rack is about three feet in front of me right now. I've been staring at it this whole time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we could just reach in the spinner rack, pull out a book, and talk about that. And you got to make sure you don't put anything with your social security number visible yeah, in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Off the rack, we'll call it. Off the racks. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Okay. Say goodnight to the people, Jerry. Yes, take care, everybody. Stay safe. Stay home. Yeah, stay home, for Christ's sakes. Listen to this again <laughs> and again. Goodbye. This has been a production of Big Fedora Marketing, LLC. The folks that bring you the terrific Comic-Con, GamerCon, and so much more. Thanks for listening.